Well, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 25, and we'll read the first 13 verses before we do so. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the psalm which we've just sung, which reminds us that when you send your mighty word, it makes the warm winds blow, the frozen water start to melt, and once again to flow. Sometimes we come into your word, into the presence of your word with frozen hearts and cold hearts. Lord, warm us up, we pray. As we listen to your word, and may you speak into our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Matthew 25, and Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, Then the kingdom will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were uh, uh, were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour. Well, as we were uh, uh, last week looking at, uh, two weeks ago, looking at chapter 24, uh, we find Jesus talking to his disciples on the the Mount of Olives uh, about two things. He starts talking about the destruction of the temple, and uh, he then talked about the the return of the Son of Man in glory. And I think for the disciples... uh, up to that point, they were thinking about those two events as, the, as happening at the same time, that Jesus would come, the temple would be destroyed, and uh, Jesus would, uh, or the Son of Man would come in his glory. Uh, but Jesus, of course, splits those two things, and so there will be a, uh, the destruction of the temple, which happened in AD 70, of course, under the Romans, but of course we still wait for the coming of the Son of Man in glory. Now the point of Jesus uh, telling us all this in chapter uh, 24, which is quite a lengthy chapter, is, is not so much to lay out a chronology of event, although certain implications do emerge, but the point of, uh, the, point of the coming of the Son of Man is not ab- about the when of it going to happen, but about the need for his disciples to not be deceived about uh, what's going to happen in the meantime. And so there would be many people who would claim to be the Christ and would come claiming people, they go out into the desert or whatever and follow them and uh, they are not to be deceived by any of this. They are to be faithful, continue to be faithful, to look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, to look at the signs, but to continue uh, to be faithful. And one day he will come. And he will come and uh, it will be a day of judgment. It will be a day that's unexpected. And... Uh, there will be uh, that day of judgment and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, he says at the end of 
chapter 24. And so this judgment is the theme now that he continues with into chapter 5, the coming of the Son of Man and the judgment that's going to come as a result. And he's doing that through three parables, which bring into focus that particular aspect of the second coming, or the coming of the Lord Jesus, uh, the final judgment. And so we've got, in 1 to 13, this parable of the ten virgins, or the ten young women, uh, in in 1 to 13. And then in uh, 14 to 30, we've got the parable of the talents, about how three servants are using the resources that the the master has left with them until he returns. So he's going to return, the master. And then in verses 31 to 46, uh, describes, and it's not so much a parable um, as a description of what's going to happen, that uh, the nation shall be divided like sheep from the goats, and the sheep will dwell with him in eternity forever, and the goats will be cast out of his presence. Uh, forever. Uh, and so this is the, so the common theme in all of these that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks, today and, and the next two weeks, is this return of a significant individual in each story. The return of the bridegroom in this parable, uh, then there'll be the return of the master from verse, 19, uh, four, um, verse 19, then the return of the Son of Man coming in glory in verses 31 to 33. And it's a crisis when he does arise, arrive because no one knows when it's going to happen. And the question is, will the people be ready when he does come? Are you going to be ready when Jesus comes again? Because when he comes, there is going to be a great separation. And this is what we need to take seriously about the teaching of Jesus. There's no ambiguity in Jesus' teaching here. The judgment will be wonderful for some and awful for others. There are some people in the world who think that at the end of the day, everybody is going to get to heaven. doesn't matter what you've done in life. Uh, God is gracious and he's going to let everybody into heaven. How can he not let everybody into heaven? That's what some people think. And, uh, you know, I've been to enough funerals in my time, conducting some of them and uh, just being present at others, where people clearly believe that whoever their loved one was, whatever they did in life, whatever they believed about God and about Jesus Christ, whether they did or they didn't, they're still going to go to heaven. You know, and so I've heard atheists talking about their loved one looking down from heaven at us and smiling. Which is a remarkable thing, isn't it? If you're an atheist. But, you know, that's what people do in times of crisis like that. But it's a strange thing. That somehow people believe that God is going to accept everybody into heaven no matter uh, how you try to get in. Well, Jesus didn't make those woolly, comforting statements about his coming. Rather, he gave us very direct warnings about the last judgment. And so let's just think for a moment about this, these verses, 1 to 13, and, uh, and this parable of the ten virgins or the ten young women. And 
this is a parable, of course, about a wedding. And it's uh, and the customs of first century Judea are quite different from our customs. And so there are certain things that are happening here that are unusual for us, maybe unfamiliar to us. But in general terms, a wedding in the Middle East, in uh, Israel at the time, in Judea, was a very long, drawn-out process. It had sort of three essential steps. You, you first of all, agreed uh, with your partner-to-be that uh, you were going to get married. And then there was a formal betrothal between the families as they, the two parties came together and committed themselves to one another. They're not yet married yet. Not yet married, but they are committed to one another in the future to get married. So it's like an engagement, but it's much stronger than an engagement. And you know, to break a betrothal was uh, uh, actually to have to go through a divorce proceeding. That's what Joseph did when he found that Mary was, uh, was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, at the beginning of the Gospels. And uh, Joseph thought, well, uh, she's been unfaithful, and so I need to divorce her, uh, even though they were only betrothed. And then the final step, of course, is the marriage itself, involved, which involves a feast, uh, a feast of celebration. And it's this feast that's at the center of this parable. And so they're preparing for this feast that's to come. And these ten young women are preparing for the bridegroom to come. And the point of the parable is to show us our need to be ready for the coming of the bridegroom, for the coming of the Son of Man. So three lessons about being ready today. And this is for all of us. First of all, appearances can be deceptive. Appearances can be deceptive. When you look at these women, ten women, young women, they all looked alike. They wore the same things. They carried the same lamps. Uh, they all, to all intents and purposes, to the outside eye, they looked the same. But the real distinction here is something that you cannot see immediately. Five of them are wise, and five of them were foolish. And why were they foolish? Because... The first five, the wise ones, had brought extra flasks of oil uh, to, to feed their torches or their lamps. But these five hadn't bothered. They thought they could just come with a torch. And uh, now these torches are probably the kind of things that you, uh, you know, it's a long stick with a rag on top and di- dipped in oil. And uh, when you light it, you, know, you hold it up in the sky. And so the, the whole idea is that when the bridegroom comes and it's the middle of the night, then you have this great kind of uh, welcoming party with, with torches. And it's, you know, it's exciting. Uh, it's a sense of celebration about it. Um, but of course, you know, that rag that's on the top of the, st- top of the stick, uh, eventually it's going to run out of oil. So you have, to, you have to replenish it. You have to keep dousing it in oil and then keep, to keep it burning. Now, I've no doubt that these five foolish uh, women came with torches that were all ready to burn, but they wouldn't last very long. And they didn't think much beyond the initial burning. And so they're unwise, they're unprepared. And I think the warning here is that uh, appearances can be deceptive in the Christian life. Uh, You may look as though you are ready for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, but you may not be ready. 
And it's a great danger not to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be only concerned about how you appear in your life, how you appear to other people. And you look like you're ready, but you're not actually ready yet. And this fits in, I think, with the modern way of life, don't you think? You know, especially with the explosion of social media over the last decade or so, where we very carefully curate our appearance to the world. We curate our best pictures on Instagram or whatever. And uh, we, we tell our best stories. And uh, we like to show how great our lives are and how wonderful they are. We won't tell the truth. And uh, we're very concerned about our appearance and our image, the image that we create about ourselves. And that's always been true. It's been true of politicians. It's been true of people in the public eye. We curate our image. And we are concerned only, uh, mostly, primarily, about appearances. But the warning here is to, to be primarily concerned about the things that are hidden. The hidden areas of life. And in particular, as you and I, we think about the Christian life, what is the key question? Do I have Jesus Christ in my life? There is a sense in which the oil kind of represents the, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and it, by His Spirit in your life. When, you see, when somebody becomes a Christian, you, you receive Jesus Christ by His Spirit. His Spirit comes and He grants you faith. He enables you to believe. He enables you to respond to the gospel. And uh, suddenly you come to life, as it were. And you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a lifelong process. Because you'll always have, if you're saved, if you're a person who's a Christian, you'll always have the Holy Spirit and you'll always have that drive uh, to want to follow Jesus Christ and to follow him closely. And so, when you become a Christian, it's not like you, you have a special outward mark, like some mark on your forehead or something, or some strange hairstyle uh, that marks you out as a Christian in the world. Uh, you have the, the hidden work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ's Spirit in you, who saves you. And that's the question. That's what makes you ready. Do you have this Christ? Does he live within you? Does he fill your life? Does he flood your soul? Is he your joy and your, your happiness? Is there a reality to your inner life with God through Jesus Christ? And do you look forward to the day when he's going to come? Are you ready for the day when he comes in power and glory? You see, that's much more important than whether you're happily coming to church Sunday by Sunday, which I, I'm very happy about. But, you know, actually, my deep concern, our, and our deep concern as a church, is that we have Jesus Christ more than anything, that you're ready for heaven. It's much more important than having a good circle of friends, having a happy family life. It's more important to have Jesus Christ. Do you have the oil? Are you ready to welcome the bridegroom? You see, it's quite possible to be baptized, to, be, to profess faith even. It's even possible to be ordained in the ministry and not have Christ. 
And Christian history is littered with people like that. We can make a list. I, I remember the story of, I mentioned Thomas Chalmers quite often in my sermons, but Thomas Chalmers was a Scottish minister. And he was uh, baptized and ordained into the Christian ministry long before he was converted to Jesus Christ. And he was preaching Sunday by Sunday. He'd, he made up these kind of uh, moralistic homilies that he would just give to his congregation that he'd work out on Saturday night. And uh, he would give it on Sunday. And the rest of the week he would spend doing mathematics because that was his fright of joy. He loved doing mathematics. And other people do other things, you know, who are not converted. They spend time in the garden. I don't know what they do. Or they pursue other things. But then the day came when Thomas Chalmers discovered Jesus Christ. Discovered the gospel, the true gospel. And his life totally changed. And he transformed the, the Scottish church scene in the middle 19th century. Well, it's quite possible for these things to happen. And these are stories that are rather like these unwise young women in the end. And in the end, they're told these terrible words from the bridegroom, I didn't know you. In verse 12, and so they didn't get into the feast. See, it's really important. To have Christ. It's really important to be ready. You may remember the, the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus spoke of uh, those who would come to him and they would say to him, Lord, Lord, we have cast out demons in your name. We have performed miracles in your name. We have done great works in your name. We have defended your name. And Jesus says, Away from me, I do not, I've never known you. Because they never actually knew Christ. And you could be a person that comes to church and you may be a great servant. You may do great things in the church. You may help the church in all kinds of ways. You may do good things as you go out into the world. Uh, But none of that is going to matter because what matters is that you know Jesus Christ. And that you're ready. So appearances, you see, can be deceptive. If you're not ready, you won't get into the wedding feast. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, it's quite possible to have a misplaced confidence. A misplaced confidence. Um, so these young women, they didn't believe that it mattered to have oil. And they're confident that it, it didn't matter too much. And that um, you know, they could get some from somewhere at the last minute. And so they had, a, they had confidence And it's interesting that here you find, there's a little detail here, that uh, because of the delay of the coming of the bridegroom, so he took time, um, some of the, you know, the women, all the women fell asleep. There's nothing wrong with that. People get tired and fall asleep. Uh, Perfectly understandable. But but you see, there were five who slept the sleep of true contentment because they were ready. And there were five who who slept the sleep of misplaced contentment, misplaced certainty, as they waited, because they were unprepared. Now, it's a simple truth that, that many people who are not Christian are perfectly happy in their lives. I, uh, you know, sometimes we like to think as Christians that all these, you know, People not Christian, 
uh, they must be really unhappy <laughs> and uh, miserable until they find Jesus Christ. But actually, most of the time, that's not true. People are perfectly content with their lives. Uh, they, don't, they just don't care about eternal life. They feel very happy about the way things are going. And they say to themselves, I'm, you know, I'm perfectly happy, thanks very much. Uh, I don't need the gospel. I don't need your church. I don't need anything. I'm perfectly okay. But you see, that's a misplaced confidence, isn't it? That when they die, or if Christ comes again, they're not going to be ready. They're confident, but in the wrong things. And maybe they'll think that, well, if Jesus does come again, then I'm going to kind of sort it out at the end. You know, at the last minute, I'll kind of give myself to Jesus Christ. But the warning here, of course, is that that's not quite so easy. You see, you have these five foolish women, and they start asking for oil at the last minute. And there isn't any to be had. And they have to go and find some. And I think the lesson there is you cannot rest on somebody else's preparedness. For example, you might be a child that's been brought up in a Christian family and you rest on your parents' faith. And you think, well, I'm going to be fine because my parents are okay. But that's a misplaced confidence. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ yourself. You have to make that, you have to have dealings with God yourself. And this is where uh, the the Christian faith becomes intensely personal. That you and I, we need to have dealings with God personally. While there is much benefit in the corporate community of the Lord Jesus Christ church, in the end it comes down to you having dealings with God personally. You cannot rest on your friends. You cannot rest on your family. Your mother and father. You cannot rest on your children. You must come to God yourself. And in the end, if you wait until the last minute, all opportunity will be gone. Now is the time to be ready. Now is the time to have dealings with God. Now is the time to prepare for that eternal life. So have you had those personal dealings with God? Are you having those dealings with God personally? Are you leaving it, or are you leaving it to some future date where one day, if I get round to it, I'll sort it out? Friends, that's dangerous. Christ could come at any moment, and you'd be lost. Don't rest on a misplaced confidence. Here's the third thing, last thing. Judgment is irreversible. Judgment is irreversible. So when these foolish women finally come back, they found that something irreversible has happened in their absence. Verse 10, and the door was shut. These are sobering words, don't you think? They returned later on after a hunt for oil. There's no mention of them finding any. We don't know if they found any, but they still wanted to get in when they found the door shut. And everybody's inside, you see, and they can hear the the sounds of celebration of the feast going on, and they're knocking at the door saying, Can I I come in? Lord, open the door, open the door. 
But there's no more opening. Because the cries are refused. The Lord of the, the feast, the bridegroom says, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. It's an awful thing to have missed out on that feast. To miss out on heaven. To miss out on his glory. They want to be able to decide at the last minute. But at the last minute it's too late. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of coming to Christ and being ready. You know, I was uh, once a, a... We have a thing called borrowed eldership in Presbyterian Church. You know, when we set up a, a church or a church is struggling with office bearers, we never leave a minister on his own. We always send somebody to work alongside him. And I was a borrowed elder for our church in Tranos in Sweden. For a number of years, I, <coughs> I traveled there regularly uh, to help out with the, the work there. And um, Tranos is a difficult place to get to. And uh, there are several different ways you can go, uh, involving at least half a dozen modes of transport. <laughs> um, but I remember once when I was traveling back from Toronto, so I'd get a train uh, southwards uh, to Copenhagen through Malmo and across that bridge you know, that connects Sweden and uh, Denmark uh, into Copenhagen, and then fly from Copenhagen to Manchester. And uh, I remember uh, arriving, and I was there on time, and I was waiting at the gate. And uh, it just so happened that there were two EasyJet flights uh, departing within a few minutes of each other, uh, going to different parts of, uh, of Britain, one to Manchester, one to Luton. And um, I was waiting for the gates to open. And uh, for some inexplicable reason, which I still can't understand today, I was waiting at the wrong gate. And my plane was leaving earlier. And uh, while I was waiting at this gate, I saw all these people going on this other plane and thinking... Yeah, um, it'll be mine soon. And then suddenly realized at the last minute I was in the wrong queue. And when I went to the queue where I should have been at, they had closed the gate. And they just would not let me on. I could see the people just walking off into the, you know, into the gantry way. And I said, just, just over there. I, just let me in, please. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me in. Uh, you know, the gate was closed. It was absolute hard closing of the gate. And it was a horrific moment, because I think, what am I going to do in Copenhagen? <laughs> and uh, uh, now, thankfully, there's a way. I actually ended up going to Luton and getting a bus back, but it cost me money. But you see, you know, that sinking feeling when you've missed a vital connection uh, was, was there. Now, multiply that by infinity when it comes to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How disastrous would that be for you to miss that? Because there's no other way. There is no other mode of transport to get you into the marriage feast. This is it. Friends, you need to be right with Jesus Christ now. Don't be careless. Don't be deceived. Don't put matters off to some later date. Don't rest on misplaced confidence. Be wise. Get ready. Receive Jesus Christ. And get life today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, amazingly searching parable. 
that reminds us of the, the significant issues that are at stake for us. We pray, Father, that all of us in this room would be right with Jesus Christ, that we'd be ready and prepared, that we'd have the oil, as it were. We'd have that oil of new life uh, in us as we come uh, to him. Thank you for the gifts that he offers to us. Thank you that uh, the bridegroom uh, gives us all that we need to be ready. If only we would have it and take it. Uh, We pray that you would hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.